A number of things going on in our midst, both God's sightings and um, prayers. Um, first, from Roy and Hannah Ledford, um, they want to say we thank everyone for their thoughts, their prayers, their visits, telephone calls, foods, cards, and letters, taking Roy to the doctor, working in our yard, surprise gifts, use of the church walker, and so much more. Roy is not well yet, but he has come a long, long way. We are so grateful to be back in church today. And we are so grateful that you are here. It just... I tell you, getting back into the building is one thing, but having Roy Ledford in the church really makes it feel like we're back. So we are glad that you are here. And... Um, I join Roy and Hannah. It's amazing as a pastor to watch a church pull together and take good care of each other. 
and y'all have done that very well. So um, I'm grateful. My heart is warmed, and thank you to everybody who's been um, part of that team. Um, Melanie Whaley has been approved to continue as a certified lay minister, so that process that she has grown in over a number of years from doing the work without the recognition to getting some more training to doing the work with more recognition. Um, she just, it's also fun as a pastor to watch somebody really grow into the gifts that God's given them and learn to share them in more and more full ways. And so I'm um, grateful and proud of Melanie. And I think that the um, committee made the right decision. And so I'm glad that, <laughs> that they made the decision that they should have made about that. Um, we also have a number of prayer concerns. We'll continue to pray for David Simmons. Um, Bill Lundy is Sherry Suttles' dad. He is on dialysis and, um, you know, just dealing with a lot of different medical stuff. So prayers for him, prayers for his family, um, and we'll keep praying steadily for him. That's one of those situations that... Um, you know, doesn't just go away in a week or a couple of days. And so we'll, we'll keep praying for him. We want to pray for the Richards family, for Nadine Davis and Mary Miller. Um, so we want to pray for the family of um, Henry Brown. Um, this is a gentleman that we know through the Hickory and Conover from Farmer's markets. He was in Hickory yesterday and telling um, Tom about his daughter Kate um, died unexpectedly and so we're going to pray for Henry, for Kate, and all who love and miss her. Um, Grace Dehetre, um, I guess was it Easter Sunday or the week after that? The Saturday before Easter, she had a fall and broke her arm. She's now at Grace Heights, and they are um, trying to get her back up and moving and, and do some rehab there. So um, continue to pray for um, Grace. I am not sure what the current visitation policy is at Grace Heights, but I imagine she could receive a phone call. And if I learn more, I'll share what I know. Will you pray with me? Loving God, your grace is amazing. You call people to yourself. You heal and forgive and make new and send us to live as healed people in your world. We pray that you would continually remind us of your healing presence and power. And give us the grace to live that power in a world that needs it. We pray not only for this congregation at St. Matthew's, but God, we pray for your people through the whole world. May everybody who calls on the name of Jesus bask in your grace, be filled with your peace, and share them as gifts in this world. We pray for the leaders and rulers who make decisions that affect so many people. May those decisions be made with wisdom and with skill, with great attention to our common good. 
We pray for Joseph, our president, and Roy, our governor, and all those who have been elected and appointed as our leaders. May they serve with truth and integrity, and may we all together work for our common good. We pray, O oh God, for our local community. We pray uh, for the teachers and school staff who are transitioning our kiddos back to full-time in-person school. God, what two years ago seemed so normal is now so complicated. And so many of our teachers are so tired. They've served heroically and given of themselves for the sake of students. God, give them the strength that they need to lead through these final weeks of school and give them the rest and recovery that they need after giving so faithfully. We pray for our um, county medical staff, God, especially for those who are working hard to make sure that everyone has access to vaccines, keep them safe, help them to rest. May they know our gratitude for the good work that they are doing. We pray, God, for the particular concerns that have been brought forward today. We continue to pray for Roy and for Hannah for his recovery and their strength as they work together. We pray for David Simmons and for Bill Lundry, for the Richards family, for Nadine Davis and Mary Miller, for the family of Kate Brown, for Henry and for Ronnie. We pray for Grace Duhetre and God, we pray also for all those people that we carry in our hearts whose names may be known only to you. And in this time of prayer, we take a moment to call to our hearts and our minds those who are otherwise forgotten, those who suffer alone, those with no one to pray for them. In all these places, O oh God, move with your healing power and bring peace and wholeness. We pray in the name of Jesus, who is teaching us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 10 beginning with verse 46. We've been working our way through the book of Mark, and then I jumped forward so that Holy Week and Easter could have the scriptures that go along with Holy Week and Easter, uh, but then there's some more of Mark that we kind of skipped over in that process. So we're dropping back a little bit um, for 
Um, Jesus' interaction with the disciples and with um, Bartimaeus here in Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 46. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many strongly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out even more loudly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed Jesus on the way. This story is fascinating to me. It's a story of a healing. It's also a story of a person who is desperate to get to Jesus. We can think back to the woman that we read about um, a number of weeks ago who had the um, bleeding and she too pushed through the crowd and wouldn't take no for an answer and got to Jesus And those two people are the two people in um, Mark to whom Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And so that, that persistent desire, that reaching out for Jesus makes a difference. But in this story, not unlike that other story, there are some obstacles. You see... Bartimaeus is crying out to Jesus for healing. But the people around Jesus are annoyed. They don't have time for him or for his cries. They don't see him as a full and complete human being deserving of Jesus' attention. And so when he brings his cry of need to Jesus, they don't say, we hear you. We recognize your suffering. We're sorry for your pain. We will pay attention to you and help you get to Jesus. That is what I would hope from the folks who are following Jesus, the folks who are hanging out with Jesus, the folks who are hopefully learning from Jesus, that when they hear somebody's cry of distress, that their response would be compassion and action. And specifically, get the guy to Jesus. But they sternly ordered him to be quiet, and he was having none of it. And so he shouted louder. And when David, when 
Jesus heard, he stood still. Jesus was not annoyed by this request. Jesus did not think that this person should stay silent. Jesus did not avoid his need or his suffering. Jesus stopped and stood still and said, call him here. And I like the way Jesus made his disciples do what they should have done in the first place. Jesus could have gone to the guy. Jesus could have spoken directly to the guy at first. But Jesus looks at the same disciples who had told that man not to bother Jesus. And he said, you go and you tell him he is important to me. And I want him to come here because I want him close to me. And then the healing happens. And of course, clearly, the man who can now see is healed. But I want to believe and I want to hope that there is also healing for those disciples. Healing of their hardness of heart. A moment to recognize that they have no business telling anybody that their pain and their distress and their call to Jesus is not appropriate or should not be listened to. I hope and I wonder that when Jesus looked at those disciples who had tried to make the guy be quiet and said, you bring him here. I hope that Jesus was teaching and healing them and saying the cries of no one get overlooked. And just because it's not your pain, just because you have a different agenda right now, does not make that person unimportant to me, to Jesus. Jesus honored the faith and the persistence of that guy who at least through his blindness and through his begging was an outsider. He brought healing to that person. He drew him in to the ministry. He began to follow Jesus. He also brought understanding to the disciples and, I hope, to us. We have continued as a nation to watch mass shootings and police shootings and other violence and protest. And in the weeks of the trial of Derek Chauvin, we have lost more of our fellow citizens. And it's so easy, it's so easy, especially for us who are at a bit of a distance from it, to try to explain it away. To try to say, this or that is why, or this or that should be, or they should be quiet, or I don't want to listen to that is not my pain. But there are people in our nation, in our community, there are brothers and sisters in Christ whose hearts are breaking 
I have a friend who is a white woman with a black son. He's 22 years old. He has his dream job, and he needs to drive from Texas to Atlanta to begin that job. He graduated, I think it was MIT. He graduated from a school that we would all go, wow. This mother is terrified that her son will not make it safely to his first day of work. And there are a thousand reasons that I can say that's outside my experience. That's not a concern that I have for my child. That's not a worry that my mother had about my brother. And I could do the disciple equivalent of be quiet and don't bother Jesus with your problem. But my brothers and sisters in Christ are hurting and are crying out and are afraid. And if I have some kind of analysis about what should be different, there could possibly be a place for that at some time. But the first thing is, my brothers and sisters are hurting and afraid. And how do I open my heart and bring the folks who are hurting to Jesus? Because here's the thing. As human beings, we have the tendency to decide who's our own and who's not our own. And it's not a bad tendency to start with. Um, sociologists have done studies. They found out that most human beings have the capacity for about 125 people. About 125 people is the number that you can maintain contact with, that you can um, carry on like a friendly relationship with, that you can feel connected to. And it's through no fault of our own when we start to give, get above that number we just can't connect in the same close and personal way. Not because you're bad, not because you're mean, but because we're human beings created for a particular kind of scope of how we connect. But when we build those sort of um, scopes of who we connect with, we can then get divided from each other. <laughs> and we can not understand or not pay attention to the experience of somebody who's kind of outside what has become our normal. And so then we start to imagine that people who have problems like my problems, people who have prayers like my prayers, people who have concerns like my concerns are really important to Jesus. And people who have concerns that don't sound like my concerns people who have experiences that aren't my experience, people who have prayers that aren't my prayer should probably stay out of the way so Jesus can get on with the important task of taking care of people like me. This is a train of thought that our sinful human natures take us along. But that does not make it okay. It is perfectly fine that we connect with the people that we connect with. 
It is perfectly fine that we have had the experience that we have had and that it might not be the experience of somebody else. But when we cross into the territory of saying, because your experience is not my experience, I will not listen, I will not learn, and I will not consider you a person in need of the presence of Jesus. There's a woman who's a scholar and a pastor and a teacher. She's a black woman. She wrote a prayer that expresses her hurt, her um, crying out to God. Um, she, she talks to God about her repeated disappointment in white people who just overlook her. Who, over, who are unkind, who are unattentive. Well, this prayer was published in a book. And somebody read this book and got their feathers ruffled because the way that this woman expresses her disappointment and anger to Jesus is unacceptable. They do not like the words that she used. They do not like the tone that she is angry and worn out and wants Jesus to take care of it because she is done. There's been a huge kerfuffle. People have sent threats to her. People have sent threats to her publisher. People have said that what she has to say is inappropriate and unwelcome and unacceptable. Maybe or maybe not the words that this woman chose to use speaking to Jesus rub you the wrong way. Frankly, she wasn't talking to you. She was talking to Jesus, and Jesus can handle it. But the thing that's really interesting to me about this kerfuffle is there's a whole lot of outrage about the words this woman chose to express the pain of her life's experience. But there's not so much outrage about the repeated experiences of her life that drove her to the point that she used strong language. We are communally being the disciples, sternly ordering her to be quiet because her lament is inconvenient. When only some people get compassion, when only some people get attention, when only some people are honored, that is not real compassion. That is not real honor. That is not real grace. And so if we as God's people imagine, and I doubt that there's anybody in this room that says this out loud, or that thinks this way on the top of our heads, my needs are more important to God than the needs of people who don't look like me. I do not say that out loud. But when I examine my heart, I realize that there's a piece of me that says, if me and my boys are okay, it's okay. But God has created us interconnected. And it is not the case that if me and my family are okay, it's all okay. It is all okay when it is all okay. <laughs> when we together 
have love and compassion and connection, when we take the problems of all of our brothers and sisters in Christ as seriously as we take the problems of the people closest to us, that is when we are truly living as disciples. That is when our church is stepping into the kingdom of God. And we, nobody is okay until we are all okay. Nobody is okay until we are all okay. And so thank God that this is Jesus' job and not mine. Because I am not going to make everybody okay. You are not going to make everybody okay. And a whole bunch of well-meaning white people who try to take charge and make everybody okay are totally missing the problem and really not going to make everything okay. That's not our job. Our job is to follow Jesus. Our job is to take the lead of our Savior, who doesn't focus on the crowd of people who already think that we're in and important and here. Our job is certainly not to shush the voices of people who have pain that is not yet ours. Our job is to listen to Jesus when he stops and stands still and listens to the cry and says, call him here. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. What if we become the people, the church, the nation, who looks at people who have been hurt, people who are crying out for mercy, people who are expressing fears that maybe we don't understand and maybe we have never experienced, and who say, take heart, come to Jesus. He is calling you. And then we trust that Jesus will in fact heal and that it will be for the healing of us all. That we're, none of us are okay until we're all okay. Compassion that is only for some people is not actually compassion. And our God is big enough to make all okay, right? That's what Revelation says in a much more biblical language. It will all be okay. Jesus will make it all right. God will bring all people to full healing in the presence of God. And we're tasked to foreshadow that now. Not to make it happen, that's not our job, but to foreshadow it because God has already made it happen. God will wipe every tear from every eye. God will bring people of all nations and all races to God's self to join together in worship. And in the meanwhile, will we be the people who say, be quiet? Or will we be the people who listen to Jesus and say, take heart, get up. Jesus is calling you. This is stuff, stuff to talk about. And it's tough as a pastor to bring it up in a way that doesn't feel like um, scolding us for living in a broken world and for having the heritage that we have. And that is never my goal. That is never my intention. But it is also not 
okay to ignore what's going on. We will only be okay when we are all okay. And we are only all okay when we lean on Jesus to make us okay. I get this wrong way more often than I get it right. But I pray that I'm at least listening and learning. And I pray that that's something we're willing to do together. Because what we pretend is God's best for us will trap us. But what we, when we let God actually give us God's best, God will set us free. And we will love in ways maybe we never even imagined. I chose our songs today carefully. It's two versions of Amazing Grace. The one we started our service with is more likely to be familiar to we who grew up in Methodist churches like this one. The second version is by the Blind Boys of Alabama. It's a group of African-American blind men who've sung together for years and years and years. And um, as we close our time of worship, I'm going to invite you to hear the words of God's amazing grace from a voice that maybe we don't listen to as often. And I pray that as we listen to the words of God's amazing grace from all the directions that it can come from, that God will truly change our hearts and bring us to healing that only Jesus can give.
may you go into this week to live in the amazing grace of Jesus with your mind and your heart open to how that grace might be extended to all God's children. Go in the name of the one who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen.